Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with David Leeds discussing sequences. Hi, David. Hi, Hadi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Just fine. Thank you. So where are you calling from? I'm from Nashville, Tennessee, USA. Oh, nice. I was there once. A very nice area. And this time of year, uh, lots of great hiking happening too. Yeah, I was there for, uh, I think, was it in Nashville? If Coatstock. Does Coatstock take place in Nashville? Oh, I don't remember. Oh, it was it was a great conference, and I I know, I remember I was queuing there in some famous barbecue joint, and they they said to us like you got to queue for two and a half hours before you can get in. So oh wow! Unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't manage to uh, do that. I think it was in uh, it was in Tennessee. I think it was Nashville. Uh, can't remember. Maybe not. So you wrote a blog post recently that uh, made the rounds. It was about Kotlin sequences and. We'll get into that a little bit in a moment, but I think that apart from obviously the educational material that that the blog had and, and teaching people in a nice way how sequences work, one of the things that really stood out for me was the graphics, like the illustrations that you had around, uh, you were using a box of crayons and um, explaining sequences with that. And I have to ask you, did you draw those yourself? I did, yep. <laughs> Okay, so you see, now that's a talent I would like to have. That's, that's just like awesome drawing, really, it is. I, oh, I suck at drawing. And like, I would imagine my ideal talk would be uh, a set of slides that I have hand-drawn myself. Do you do that? Do you do like uh, presentations with, with hand-drawn slides? Um, I haven't done uh, presentations recently, uh, but uh, you know I do have a lot of fun uh, doing illustrations uh, for uh, for the content that I write, and a lot of it is um, you know it's not I'm not just aiming to uh, include uh, all the cute cartoons and things, but I'm really trying to find ways to make things uh, memorable. Well, I mean, it is it works effectively, right? Because first of all, it's it's nicely done. Second of all, it suits the purpose uh, perfectly, right? So kudos for that. Well, thank you, Hadi. I appreciate that. And uh, coming back to the topic of uh, sequences, uh, we we decided to maybe you know have a chat about this. And some people may still not be familiar with the concept of sequences. I remember that when I was still talking about uh, Kotlin back in the early days, uh, a lot of the operations that what I was showing on collections, etc., people were confusing with uh, Java streams, and st so. You know, there there still might be some people that aren't familiar with this, and and something that we always seem to forget, and I keep forgetting, is that every day there are new people that join Kotlin, right? It's not like mm. it's it's just been a group of people that have been tagging along for for five years, and everyone knows everything, right? So, um, right. So I said, let's do an episode on sequences, and uh, if it goes well, well, it may have a sequence to it. Okay, never mind. That was very bad. <laughs> so sequences. Uh, one sentence to explain what sequences are. So sequences are all about processing a series of data and doing that in an efficient way. Okay, is that your elevator pitch? Uh, say that again? Is that your elevator pitch? Uh, yeah, elevator pitch. I think that's probably the, the most concise way we can explain it. Okay, cool. Uh, my 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 slogan is I never believed in elevator pitches, so it doesn't really matter what your elevator pitch is. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, we're, we're gonna get into the details. So, uh, I guess we can start by kind of, kind of saying like, with everything there is a need, right? And and why would I do something? And then we can get into the details. So why would I need 
uh, sequences in my life? So the main motivator for sequences is going to be the performance. Um, if we are doing collection processing, uh, we have a few different ways that we can do that. One of them is to um, just write everything manually. So I, I guess kind of as an example, we could say if we had um, a, a list of animal objects where we've got you know some cats and dogs and maybe some hamsters, and we wanted to uh, convert that down to just a list of the names of the first 10 dogs in that list, uh, we have a couple ways we could do that, right? One is we could uh, sit down and just kind of manually write uh, all of the code to um, create a new array list and loop over those animals and write our own conditionals um, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and that certainly works uh, and it's efficient, but it's also a lot of boilerplate. Uh, it's very imperative code, not very reusable. And so uh, when you look at it, it's a little little hard to tell what's happening because of all the detail that's there. So. Uh, Kotlin, uh, because, because this kind of thing is so so common, collection processing like that is so so common, Kotlin and, and other modern programming languages uh, include collection operations that you can do uh, that will kind of handle those tasks for you so that we don't have to manually uh, create array lists or write conditionals and that kind of thing. That's exactly right. Yeah. So we're talking about these uh, very declarative operations that you can put onto uh, your collections and, and iterables. So uh, you can just do like a dot filter to convert it to a list of dogs, a dot map to map to the names of the dogs, and a dot take to, uh, to get a list of just the first 10 names. So this is a huge improvement over trying to write all that code out uh, manually. Uh, it eliminates all that boilerplate code, and it's you know, just kind of easier to look at and understand what's happening. But the the nice abstraction does come with a bit of a hit to performance as well. Uh, so the problem is whenever we invoke those collection operations, we're getting a new array list uh, every time. And every time we, we do another operation, we're iterating over um, uh, that list again. And so that's kind of where, that, that's really where Kotlin sequences can be helpful. You can kind of think of them as an alternative implementation uh, for those collection operations. So they still give us a nice declarative way to do collection processing, uh, but a lot of times they can be more efficient than the usual uh, collection operations. Uh, and they do that by avoiding those intermediate uh, collections that we were just talking about. Uh, so uh, they kind of change the strategy for how the processing happens. So with the collection operations, for example, uh, it's going to apply each one of those uh, operations to an entire um, collection before it moves on to the next operation. So we were just talking about like a filter, a map, and a take. So we would be filtering all of the elements in the list, and then we'd get another list out of that, and we'd map all of the elements in that list, and then we'd go down to the take finally. Um, but sequences change the order so that uh, all of the operations are happening just to a single element uh, before we move on to the next element. And in that way, it avoids having to do multiple iterations. Yep, and and we'll touch up on that uh, in a moment. But one thing that you mentioned when you said, let's say that I have a list of cats and dogs and animals and I wanna filter out uh, the first 10 dogs. Now, how important is the word first in that? Um, it, it really just kind of depends on on what you want. That was just sort of, um, you know, one scenario that kind of can help illustrate it. Um, so if you're, uh, the the reason that it is significant for the context of, of a sequence is that uh, we talked about having that take as the last um, uh, the last operation we're doing, 
And the reason that makes a difference is because in uh, processing with normal collection operations, uh, we ended up kind of iterating over and performing operations on, so like filtering and, and mapping um, uh, elements that didn't actually even make it to the final uh, collection, the final output collection. Um, and so by putting a, a sequence in there instead, once we finally hit that, or once we just hit that first tenth uh, item in the list, the rest of all that stuff didn't have to happen at all. Right. So it's so to put it back into your words when you were talking about uh, creating this manually. Yeah. If I have a, a collection of a million animals and I want the first 10 of them that are dogs, if I were to use filter, it is going to process a million animals and then just give me back 10. Uh, if you're using just filter, you just, just filter. you get whatever. Yeah, just yeah. filter, you're going to get back just the dogs, but uh, you get all the dogs. So if there were, um, you know, 100,000 dogs in that list, you get a list of 100,000. Yeah, sure. Sorry, you get all the dogs back. And then even though I only need 10, right? And right, if I were exactly. to implement that myself, I could break out of my for loop when I hit the count of 10. Right. Right. However, the... And the reason that I'm asking you, like, how important is the first 10 when you said the first the first X amount is how important is this to the actual uh, usage of when to use sequences or not? So would you only use sequences when you need a specific group of elements or even in cases where you could potentially end up with you know, 90% of the original collection, you could still use sequences. This is what I think is important to to clear up for, for the audience. Sure, yeah, it, it does make sense. Um, so really sequences can help out um, in, uh, in a variety of, of situations. So um, we see a lot of benefit when uh, we're just, um, you know, just handling the first few of them, uh, like you're saying the first 10 or whatever. But um, we we do see a performance benefit in many cases uh, with sequences, even uh, even if that's not what you're doing, right? Because you're not creating those intermediate collections each time. Exactly. Okay. Now the way that this is being done, and you spoke about ordering, and you said like I filter, map, etc. And you said that at the end of it, I have, for example, a take five. So this is known as, in the world, I guess, as lazy evaluation, right? Where I'm only mm -hmm. essentially evaluating what I need as opposed to the normal way, which is eager evaluation. That's correct, yeah. So a difference between the implementation for uh, collect, uh, normal collection operations and uh, processing for sequence operations is, um, is just what you said, where uh, collections, as soon as you do a dot filter, for example, um, that's going to invoke a for loop. And as soon as you do a dot map, it's going to invoke a for loop. But with sequences, um, you're actually building out uh, sort of this processing chain or this kind of pipeline uh, before it actually gets invoked. And so it's kind of like you're setting up these dominoes. And uh, not until we invoke uh, what we call a terminal operation, um, that's, that's kind of when we finally tip that first domino over and watch everything go. Yeah, I like that uh, comparison to dominoes. That's, that's a very good one. And you mentioned terminal operation. So there is terminal operation and there is the other one, which is? Uh, intermediate operations. Intermediate operations. And is there a yeah. clear list of this anywhere of like, so people would understand like what is considered a terminal operation? The um, the documentation, the inline documentation for the standard library uh, 
classifies all of the, the different operations as either intermediate or terminal. So intermediate is going to uh, roughly, is gonna, it's really just going to be anything that returns another sequence. Uh, so that's kind of a quick and easy way to tell. Um, but you can also use the, uh, the documentation. Okay. And one other thing that you mentioned, which I think you also cover in your article, if I'm not mistaken, which is about ordering, right? How you order these operations. Mm -hmm. So could you... Uh, you're talking about the difference between uh, how uh, collections and, and sequences uh, process them? Yeah. So when I, for example, if I say I have multiple steps in my sequence processing, how important is the ordering? You know, like if I take a list and I say, okay, well, I'm going to loop through all of the, sorry, if I take a collection without using sequences and I say, okay, I'm going to loop over all of them and I'm going to filter them out and then I'm going to map them, etc. That does have a little bit of cost, obviously, when I have map, uh, you know, first doing a map and then filtering, obviously that's going to mm -hmm. have a cost. But how much is the impact in terms of sequences? Is it very important to get that right? I think it's uh, it's almost, in my experience, been less important with uh, sequences. Uh, just for example, with the take. Uh, so <clears throat> when we were talking about uh, having a, a filter, a map, and a and a take, uh, really, I, I kind of set us up for a little a little bit of discussion there uh, because I put the take at the end. Uh, if we were doing normal collection processing, uh, we could have had a filter and then the take, right? Because once we have um, reduced it to the dogs. We just wanted to take the first 10 dogs and then we could map it uh, to the names. So uh, with collections, that makes a difference. But with the sequences, because of the order that they uh, process the elements, uh, it it didn't make it like it, it was more performant that way anyhow. So even if, I mean, even if we put the take at the end, which is a terminal operation, you're saying that it doesn't have any impact whether you put the filter or the map first? Uh, it, it just kind of depends on what it is you're trying to achieve. So um, the reason for the uh, uh, filter, <clears throat> okay, I, well, I do see what you're saying then. If you wanted to uh, do the, the map first, the filter is going to be what reduces the size of the, of the set in the case of a collection, right? So uh, having a, uh, anything that would reduce the, the size of the collection uh, earlier in the operation chain is probably going to be a, a, a better idea, but you still have to be mindful that it's going to produce the output that you're looking for. Yeah. Now, one other thing that the documentation talks about is stateful versus stateless operations. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure, yeah. So um, in addition to having uh, the operations classified as uh, intermediate or uh, terminal, they're also classified as uh, either stateless or stateful. And uh, stateless here is going to be a, a little different from what uh, you you might think, and if you're used to like a functional programming uh, stateless, where we're talking you know pure functions and things like that. Uh, stateless here really just means not not very uh, significant state. So it might still have a little bit. If it does have state, it's probably going to pertain to, uh, for example, the data set as a whole. Uh, whereas stateful operations are going to have state um, a lot of times that is uh, maybe pertains to each element in the data set, for example. So, um, <clears throat> for example, the uh, uh, distinct uh, operation that you can do uh, is going to build out a hash set internally to keep track of what uh, elements it has already observed. Uh, also, sorted, uh, for example, would uh, build out a mutable list uh, to do some sorting uh, inside your operation and then and then return a sequence from there. So these things build um, 
you know, potentially significant amounts of, of state internally. And that can be a, a big deal when you're uh, dealing with uh, data that's coming from something like a, you know, file system, for example, if your uh, sequences are, are reading off of uh, a file off of disk, uh, you might not intend to load uh, all of those uh, lines into memory, right? Yeah. So as a user, as a developer, I, I have to be mindful about this in what you're saying. Uh, yes, it's good to keep in mind, especially uh, distinct and sorted are, are sort of the main um, the main ones to keep in mind. Uh, there are some other ones like windowed uh, functions like uh, chunked, I think. Uh, but uh, really sorted and distinct seem to be the, the biggest ones to keep in mind. Okay. Now, what is the difference uh, between, because if you take a look at the definition of a sequence and um, iterable, essentially they're the same more or less the same, right? I mean, that they both have an iterator function. So when someone looks at that from the source code perspective, how, you know, they, they wouldn't be able to know the difference. And, and the difference is essentially how what we're talking about, which is lazy evaluation versus eager evaluation. Yep. Yeah, if if you were to pull up the um, the interface for, uh, for iterables and the interface for sequences and uh, look at them side by side, they are uh, completely identical uh, with uh, just the exception of the name. So yeah. so they really both just provide an iterator. Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, it's the, it's the implementation that matters. And of it, obviously the name. <laughs> it just makes just me wonder right. though yeah. that, makes me wonder if, yeah. if they should be named different to iterator. <clears throat> um, uh, yeah, so the, I think the big difference in uh, iterable and, and sequences is really, it has to do with um, kind of their purpose. So if we look at subtypes of iterable, for example, all of the subtypes there are, um, they're generally named after the strategy that we use to store the data. So what I mean by that, for example, is uh, when you've got an array list, we're talking about a uh, collection type, obviously that conforms to the, the list interface, but is backed by an array. So that's why we call it an array list um, and, and other, other types like that. But sequences are, um, on the other hand, they're they're named for the types of operations that they perform. So all of the uh, different collection operations that we've been talking about with filtering and, and mapping and things like that, there's a, a filtering sequence, transforming sequence, drop take sequence, things like that. They're named for uh, the operations, not for anything having to do with how the data is stored. Yeah. Now, if I have a sequence, can I iterate that uh, multiple times or can I only iterate it a single time? It, uh, it does depend. Uh, many sequences you can iterate multiple times. There are a handful of them that you would not be able to, uh, that are constrained just to a single, uh, a single pass. Uh, a lot of times it has to do with, uh, you know, for example, if you're uh, using, if it's using a buffer to read, or for example, to read something off the file system, I, I, I think that's, uh, you know, that kind of thing is going to be, um, you're gonna have to get a fresh, uh, fresh copy second yeah. time if you wanted to do that. Yeah. So it really depends on what it, what it is that you're trying to uh, access, right? That's right. Yeah. And then what about in terms of extensibility? I mean, is the is the API as feature rich for sequences as it is, as it is for your regular collections? And uh, is it extensible if I if I have some you know new functionality that I want to provide that is not shipped in the standard library? So. 
Um, you will find that the uh, operations on sequences are, you're not going to have everything that is available to you when you're doing uh, standard collection operations. Uh, and the reason for that is uh, largely because, um, because the sequences are based on iterators and iterators are by nature uh, very first to last uh in in kind of the uh, the the heart of a, of a, an iterator, right? Because you have to be able to traverse it to get to uh, to any given element in there. So there are operations that you can do in collections where it's going to allow you to do things more uh, last to first order. So, for example, things like fold right, uh, drop last, reversed, those kinds of things uh, you can do on a collection. Uh, those are not available on uh, sequences. Also, pulling out kind of like uh, you know, random access type things where you're pulling out a random item or, or trying to take the 10th uh, item out of the list. You have to like traverse that iterator in order to get there. So the, they just don't work quite as naturally with that. Uh, but in terms of extensibility, it's actually, um, it's actually pretty cool the way that uh, developers can, uh, can add their own. So if we were to compare this to, um, for example, uh, Java uh, streams, which is kind of a similar concept, uh, all of the operations that you can do on a Java stream are, uh, you know, they're they're defined on the the stream interface. Um, but because Kotlin has extension functions, um, uh, you know, all of these uh, dot filter and dot map, for example, are these are extension functions uh, that just um, end up kind of wrapping the sequence in um, in you know a filtering sequence or tra uh, transforming sequence or whatever. And so the cool thing about that is, is that we can we can do that ourselves as uh, as application developers. We can write our own whatever sequence class um, and add our own uh, you know dot whatever uh, extension function and just plug right in with no change to the uh, you know the the syntax at all. Yeah, and actually talking a little bit about syntax, we haven't mentioned for people not familiar to sequences, how exactly you operate on a sequence? Like, how do you take a collection and treat it as a sequence? It's really pretty simple. Uh, once you have your collection or any, uh, I think any iterable uh, will do, you can uh, just do a dot as sequence on it and that will uh, turn it into uh, a sequence. And then the only other thing you kind of have to keep in mind is uh, that you have to have that terminal operation on there. So. Uh, you know, normally if all you're doing is just a collection with a dot map on it, uh, you're going to get a, a list out of that right away. But if you convert it to a sequence, you'll just need to remember to um, to end it with a dot to list, for example. Right, because unless you call that terminal operation, it's not going to actually do anything, yeah? Correct, yeah. We haven't tipped over that domino yet. So what about the cases where I don't have a collection to start with? Is there an API or a function that allows me to generate my own kind of sequences? It, yeah, there uh, there are different ways to get uh, sequences, and uh, one of the <clears throat> if you don't have a collection, uh, one of the cool things you can do with sequences is you can just uh, generate the values if you want to uh, create them kind of on demand as they're requested. So uh, we call these uh, generators, sequence generators, and um, you know this is kind of cool for doing things like uh, you know Fibonacci sequence uh, if you wanted to uh, uh, just calculate that uh, as the values are requested. And uh, there's a function for it as well, right? I think it's called generate sequence that you can that's right. yeah, yeah you can you can seed it with a value or just provide it a, a, a function that uh, that will generate it each time. Okay. Now if I come from Java, right like I 
I've not done really much Kotlin and I'm jumping in from Java and Java 8, of course, has streams. How is this different to Java 8 streams? So they are very, uh, very similar in in spirit, sort of. They're, um, you know, they they both build out uh, like we're talking about with with intermediate and terminal operations. So uh, they're both uh, lazy in that way. The Java streams uh, implementation is uh, a, a little more complex in design. Uh, I think some of which is probably to support uh, being able to run them in parallel, uh, which uh, isn't something that you can do with. Uh, uh, sequences. Uh, there are a few small other differences in implementation. Uh, yeah, the streams are kind of doing a little more of a, a, a pushing the values downstream, whereas um, uh, the sequences are uh, are pulling them more from upstream uh, through those iterators. Uh, we already talked a little bit about how streams have uh, that kind of finite number of operations that you can do, but uh, with uh, Kotlin extension functions, we can we can kind of make our own there. Uh, and then also, you had mentioned about how sequences usually can be uh, can be run more than once. Uh, streams are not that way. Streams have to uh, like once you run them, they've they've been consumed. And from the perspective of a, have you worked with Java eight streams? I have. Yes. How would you say the experience is versus Kotlin? Like, is it? Is it the same? Is it more or less the same kind of amount of code you have to write, or is there more boilerplate code on the Java side? Um, for for the basic operations, they're pretty similar. I think the um, probably what most Kotlin developers uh, appreciate with the sequences rather than the streams is uh, when it comes to collection, uh, collecting the uh, results. So um, with uh, with Java, there's just a little more um, setup where you have to you have to tell it to uh, to collect into and then give it uh, sort of a, a function that tells you how you want to collect. And that's um, I, I think it might be like a static import you have to do there even, uh, which which can be a little uh, you know you have to go go find it or whatever uh, the the kind that you want. Whereas you get kind of with sequences you get the just the um, uh, pop up help in the in the IDE. Yeah, I mean that was a little bit my experience as well. But you know, I haven't used uh, Java streams extensively, to be quite honest. So, but I do mm -hmm. see that sometimes you have to call collect on on some of the endpoints, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. So, as a summary, I would say, you know, if someone is trying to use sequences in Kotlin, are there any kind of rules of thumb or tips of like what strategy should I follow? Should I just stick to collections? Or if I meet a series of conditions, I should switch over to using sequences? Is there like a list that they should go through and s decide when to use one or the other? Yeah, uh, so this this question definitely comes up uh, quite a bit. And so the one of the main, you're really the main driver I'd say for using sequences is uh, is for performance. And anytime that we're dealing with performance, uh, just just in software development in general, it's always a really complex story, right? Every time we we think we understand uh, what's happening, uh, something will surprise us, and and we'll com completely tip the scales in the other direction. And so I was I was really hoping to uh, to distill a, a, just a nice concise uh, rule of thumb uh, that would kind of tell us when it'd be uh, more favorable to use one or the other. And and here I am, hundreds of benchmarks and profile recordings later, and I still, uh, <laughs> I just still don't have something that I feel like uh, I, I can really put a lot of confidence in. But I think what we can do 
is uh, we can at least kind of cover some of the main factors that affect performance. Um, I, I would say, I, I have to qualify it, of course, and say you ab absolutely have to measure it yourself. If it's something, you know, if you're concerned about uh, performance, you really do need to measure it because you just don't know. Uh, there's so much context that makes a difference. But let's uh, let's take a minute and maybe talk through the things that, that seem to affect it the most. So uh, from my observations, what, what I've seen is that um, more than anything, the number of operations in the operation chain is what will uh, make sequences more appealing. So the more operations you have, uh, the more likely that sequences are probably going to be a better fit than uh, than running it through a nor the normal collection operations. And that that kind of fits with our understanding of things, right? Because the um, uh, the fewer iterations, fewer loops that we're having to do, uh, you know, the the more performant it's probably going to be. Um, and maybe second to that is going to be uh, the number of items in the collection would kind of also play into that a little bit. So if you're having to do iteration over a lot of things uh, multiple times, that's that's kind of probably going to be a little bit of a multiplier in there. So a rule of thumb would be if I have a potentially infinite number of elements coming down, I would definitely want to try and use sequences. Uh, if you had an infinite, almost an infinite number of operations, uh, for sure. So the, the number of operations uh, seems to be more important than just the number of items in the collection. Uh, but they, they both kind of work together. Right. But I mean, let's say that I have a Twitter fire hose, right? And I'm continuously processing. Would I, I mean, yeah, technically you should use Rx for that, but I'm saying that would you, <laughs> uh, would you consider using sequences in that case? Uh, yeah, I mean, especially if you're dealing with uh, with infinite uh, data like that, you're you're pretty much going to have to because the collections are going to be uh, in memory already usually. Um, so number of operations for sure. I, I, now the IDE will the the Kotlin plugin in uh, the IDE will uh, it, it there's a, an inspection that will tell you uh, that will recommend to when to change to uh, sequences and it, when it was first introduced, uh, I think it was uh, set to just two. So if you just had two operations, it would uh, recommend that you convert it to a sequence. That has uh, uh, since been changed. Uh, more recently, it now defaults to a recommendation of five, but it's configurable. These things a little bit scare me as well, right? And, and I'm saying this as the, the you know the person that works at the company that makes the IDE, uh, and, and I think it's a great thing, but I sometimes also worry that people just oftentimes just hit Alt Enter and apply the quick fix without really sometimes considering things. You know what I'm saying? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, um, you know, when, when we maybe haven't, haven't really understood quite what the details are yeah. uh, that are involved, sometimes it's easy just to hit the button. And it's not just with this. I mean, it's with, with a ton of things, right? I mean, it, mm -hmm. even at the time when it's, it's it was about converting uh, uh, to functional approaches, right? Whether it was using mm -hmm. Java streams or uh, Kotlin, even using uh, filter map, et cetera, as opposed to your own for loop. A lot of times people just would take this big code and say, oh, look, I can just do Alt-Enter and convert this, ending up with less readable right. code. But yeah, yeah I, mean, it I, I think it's awesome. great. I think it's fantastic. And and I wish that we'll have more of these types of inspections. But, you know, f folks, understand what it is doing before just hitting Alt-Enter. That's good advice. So yeah, I think the number of operations is is really the uh, the biggest thing to keep in mind. I, the type of operations is also maybe a secondary uh, thing to consider, uh, where we've already 
we've already discussed the stateful and stateless operations, but uh, if you have a distinct or sorted in your uh, sequence chain, that's uh, it, it could still be more performant than the uh, collection version, but it, you know, it could kind of start tipping the scales back the other way. So it's good to keep that in mind. And then the third one uh, that I noticed is just uh, not really quite as obvious. And that is that um, we have collections in Java that, uh, that are, I guess what I'll call growable. Uh, so for example, with an array list, uh, as we were talking about before, it's, it's backed by an actual Java array, which uh, arrays have a finite number of elements in them, right? So if, for example, we have um, a, a brand new array list we just uh, created, it's going to default to, um, I believe, a, a 10, uh, an, an array of size 10. So what happens when we get to the point where we have an 11th element that we're ready to add to that array list? Uh, well, what it does under the hood is it has to go uh, create a new array list that's 50% uh, larger than, than the old one. It'll copy the data over, and then it'll put the, uh, that 11th item in there. And then that'll work up until we get to you know whatever 16th, I guess, and then it'll it'll do that again. And so there's a cost to when we're um, when, when we're adding new new elements uh, that kind of exceed that that threshold of whatever that array is. And this this can be kind of surprising uh, because there are times where uh, collection operations can actually set things up for better performance uh, on particular operations. So for example, uh, if we're talking about a map operation and uh, we're doing this on a collection, uh, because it's a collection, it has a size property on it. And so we can look at that size and say, we know for sure uh, what the size of this collection is. So when we uh, create the, the output um, uh, array list for this operation, we know it's a map operation. So it's going to have the exact same size uh, on the outside, uh, on the way out as it is on the way in. And so we can just create the array list and pass the initial capacity uh, right off the bat. We already know it's got you know 100 elements in there. So when we create the array list, we pass it the number 100. And that will initialize it with an array that's large enough to hold that so it doesn't have to grow. The um, surprising thing, of course, is, is that sequence on the other, other side, um, we have just the, the iterator. And so we don't know the size of that collection. So when we get to that map operation, uh, for example, we don't know the size uh, that it's going to need. And so we create just an array list with the default size of, of 10, and it will have to do that growing. So this one, it can, it can really kind of uh, blindside you if you're not aware of it. Yeah. Yeah, totally makes sense. Cool. So we're running out of time. Uh, it was great chatting with you. Where do you think, I mean, obviously we'll put some links to the, to your blog post, uh, which was once again, amazing illustrations well, as well as the the content well, thank you uh but if people want to get more into dive deeper into it and and you know you were talking about how you have run many kind of benchmarks and and performance analysis what would you recommend the next step would be well, um, you know, they're certainly uh, uh, welcome to stop by and, and kind of read uh, what I've written so far. It's really uh, been uh, kind of an introduction. We've, we've kind of covered a lot of uh, just kind of the way that it's uh, processed here. Um, I've, you know, most of what I uh, do when I'm doing research is, is really just digging in with the, um, uh, really just digging in with the, the code itself and, and running these tests uh, just kind of on, on my own. Uh, 
so um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I guess I don't really have any uh, great other recommendations on uh, places to go for uh, uh, sequences. What do you use I for benchmarking? Uh, benchmarking uh, JMH is sort of the uh, the main Java benchmarking tool. Yeah. Uh, so that, that one's uh, uh, kind of the the default one. And and you really don't want to, if I can just kind of say uh, briefly, like you really don't want to just uh, wrap it with your own, um, you know, uh, system millies or or whatever, and and check the um, you know how long it takes and and run it once or twice. That's that's not really uh, good enough uh, for a variety of reasons. There are different things that happen. So definitely, uh, if you wanted to uh, measure something, uh, definitely use a, a, a real benchmarking tool. Yes, not a hand rolled at home. I just put this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then you end up um, trying to performance tune your benchmarking tool. Right. <laughs> it's just a rabbit hole, right? That's right. Cool. Well, it was great chatting with you, Dave. And uh, yeah, hopefully you we'll uh, meet at some point. Are you heading to KotlinConf by chance? Oh, man, that sounds great. I haven't uh, worked out the logistics yet, but it would sound fun. You should, and you should try and submit a talk as well, right? Call for Papers okay. is still open. Well, thank you. Month. Yeah. Good deal. Awesome. Great. Take care. All right. You too. Thanks. Thanks.